This podcast is part of the Tremula Network, adventure and outdoor podcasts off the beaten track. To find out more, head to tremula.network or find us on socials. Seize Your Adventure is part of the Tremula Network, adventure and outdoor podcasts off the beaten track. When you're experiencing joy, you're experiencing excitement, you're experiencing fear, you're experiencing intimidation. And when you're feeling all those things and you're putting yourself in situations that are challenging but have have a destination, have a an endpoint that brings you somewhere that just feeds your soul. Hello adventurers, it's Fran Tarowskis here and you are listening to Seize Your Adventure. You just heard Jake Quigley talking about what adventure means to him. And as you can already hear, this interview is going to be very profound and insightful. Jake is the executive director of a non-profit organisation called Outdoor Mindset. And that's a membership-based community that unites and inspires people affected by all kinds of neurological challenges. And it does this by getting people outdoors and taking on joint adventures together. In the last episode, Jake took us through what he called the scariest period of his life. Jake had brain surgery eight years ago to give him the chance to carry on living the adventure lifestyle. If you haven't heard that story yet, you might want to just head back and listen before you hear our chat. It is an incredible story. If you've already done that, I won't keep you any longer. This is what happened when I spoke to Jake Quigley a couple of weeks ago. Enjoy. As we heard in the story, Jake, you've called a few different places home over the years, including Colorado and New Hampshire. Can you tell us where you're currently based? Uh, My wife, Jeannie, and I are currently based in Tucson, Arizona, so down here in the southwestern Sonoran Desert. So I'm assuming not as much skiing going on in that area now. Not as much skiing. We are surrounded by five major mountain chains, one of which does ascend up to 10,000 feet. So there is snow not too far out of the desert floor that you can go up and explore on your skis a couple times a year if the conditions align. This year we were able to go up and ski a few times. That's fabulous. And would you say that skiing is your preferred sport then? Skiing and mountain biking are what I spend most of my time doing year-round. Skiing in the winter for sure. Travel back to Colorado a lot. Like to ski throughout the Pacific Northwest wherever I can. Jeannie and I are both skiers. And then mountain biking uh, for the other three seasons of the year. We'll get onto the mountain biking in a minute because that's something I'm very interested in. I've never, I've never done it and I don't know very much. Uh, skiing, I've done cross-country skiing, but not downhill skiing. So how did you get into downhill skiing? I came from a family of skiers. I'm the youngest of seven and all my siblings were skiers. And I just kind of got forced into it. If I was going to go out on family winter vacations, it was going to be on skis. So thankfully, I 
took it, really enjoyed it. Shortly got into a stint of snowboarding after that. And when I moved, relocated out to Colorado, I picked up telemark skiing, which is what I currently do. Spend most of my time with my heels free doing lunges down the hill. Can you just explain telemark skiing a little bit more? That's something that's new to me. It's a downhill version of cross-country skiing in that your heels are free. So when you're going downhill, making alpine turns, you're lifting your heel and you're getting lower to the ground. Okay, that sounds fabulous. So does that give you more, the more freedom of movement then? Yes, it does. That's what really resonated with me was, I call it the perfect combination of power and grace. It's a very artful turn, but it's also very powerful and you can ski all sorts of terrain, super steep terrain, trees, and have a lot of fun. It's almost like being able to absorb the force and get lower into the powder when it's deep snow. Yeah, fabulous. So as you say, I can hear in your voice that's something that is just so integral to to your being. Um, And we heard very nicely in your story that it's something that you you could use as an escape, particularly at that time before you were having your brain surgery. Um, Can you tell us how skiing and epilepsy got along in your life before that? Did you have to make any adaptations? Well, I think my mindset with epilepsy when I was diagnosed at, I believe, age 11, my father is a retired surgeon, and he and my mom saw my first seizures. He sent me to a friend who was a neurologist, and I was diagnosed. And I think having a physician for a father, it was never feared as a diagnosis when I was little. He never feared it. My mother never feared it. Therefore, I never made that big of a deal out of it emotionally and never let it hinder my lifestyle. I continued on playing sports like hockey and lacrosse and would have seizures from time to time. Most of my seizures growing up were in my sleep and it just never really hindered me. And outdoor activity ever since has been very much a kind of a prescribed medicine that I've needed to keep that in perspective. Yeah, that's fabulous. And what I think you hit on really nicely there is that idea of uh, the fear that a lot of people have about the condition. Um, I think people get afraid not only of the condition, but also for you when you have it. Did you find that you ever had people telling you not to do those things? Did you have anyone who was worried about possibly skiing with you? I have. I, Whenever I would go to a new environment, whether that was college or moving to a new area, and people would see uh, a seizure or learn about my condition, it was always at the forefront to people that I was meeting Uh, that didn't know me, didn't know the way that I carried on with my lifestyle and always, you know, showed concern. Uh, But as they got to know me better and saw that I didn't let it hinder my quality of life, they kind of realized that. Yeah. And how did you approach that? How did you um, help them realize how you can live with it well? 
I would always explain it as epilepsy is something you have and it's not something that you are. Mm. Uh, in saying that, what I mean is you always have a choice to dealing with a diagnosis. One is that that diagnosis creates a limiting factor, uh, which is very much a, a mental decision to say, I have this diagnosis, I'm choosing to make these adjustments. I have never really allowed that to happen. I've always met it with a resistance of how do I maintain that lifestyle that I choose to live, but doing it responsibly as well. And um, when you say responsibly, are there any points where you have made the decision to not do something because of the, the chance of a seizure? Yeah, I was always lucky enough that I do have auras um, or have had auras uh, throughout all of my epileptic phases. And those allow me an opportunity to step back, realize what's going on um, and put myself in a safe, a safe space. And that's not always, but I always try to do things with other people. I, I never do things on my own if I can avoid it in efforts that if something were to happen, at least I have someone with me. Hello there. My name is Cathy Kamleitner and I'm here to tell you about my podcast, Wild for Scotland. If you enjoy traveling, spending time outside, learning about nature or simply relaxing to a good story, check out Wild for Scotland and join me for inspiring journeys from the cobbled streets of Edinburgh to the sandy beaches of the Western Isles. We go on scenic road trips up and down the country, hop from island to island, immerse ourselves in Scottish history, culture and landscapes, and meet passionate locals who love sharing their own little corners of Scotland. Think of it like story time for adults that inspires you to head out and learn about the world around you. So join me on the Wild for Scotland podcast. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. So um, when you talk about auras there, just for people who might not be familiar with the term, um, these are often seen as warning signs for for bigger seizures, like tonic-clonic seizures. Can you describe what those auras felt like, how you experienced those? Mine are very much deja vu. I will have uh, a lightheaded feeling. I would have a sense of something very, very familiar that I'd seen before or that I'd heard before, not necessarily that I'd had, but it would somehow align like that. And immediately I would know that feeling. I would get dizzy. It would give me that opportunity in most instances to, you know, sit down or or do something to prepare for an oncoming seizure. Yeah, and that's something that I'm assuming would be very difficult to to see from the outside, wouldn't it? So um, you, you have to rely on yourself. You have to really know your own condition to be able to work with it in that way and to understand when you do need to take time and sit back a little bit. Yes, 
And if I was able to, uh, it, in certain instances, I would be able to verbalize, I think I'm about to have a seizure. Yeah. Or, or get part of that out. <laughs> yeah. Which is certainly um, helpful for the people around you, I can imagine. Yes. Yeah, I'm not certain if I ever verbalized it myself that well. Uh, apparently I gabble, so I'm not quite certain if that <laughs> yeah. helps. Most of the time, that's what would happen to me as well. Yeah. Um, so speaking of adventures, obviously, you, the story that you told for us, it gave us a really nice idea of um, what, it, what must be one of your bigger adventures when you went hiking with your wife in the Himalayas. Um, so can you tell us why you decided on the Himalayas in particular, what it was about that area that, that drew you there? I would have to say that my wife was the driver behind that one. She is very much a adventure seeker on a, on a grand scale. International travel, mountains we've never been to. She's always the driver, so I'm, I'm always excited that I have a partner that is down for big adventures. And that's what led us to the Himalaya. Part was my recovery from my temporal lobectomy surgery, and the other was to celebrate our wedding anniversary. During the only open window for her at the end of her first year of medical school uh, would be the last big chunk of time she would have to do an adventure like that. So that was when we decided we're going to go check out the Himalayas and, and challenge ourselves with three weeks of trekking along the northern tip of India and we followed down the Pakistani border and ended our trek in Kashmir. Fabulous. And you, you did that independently, didn't you? You didn't go with an organized group? We did not. We were just the two of us. So how would you suggest to people that might be thinking of doing something like that independently? How would you suggest that they, they go about doing it? I would... Definitely recommend if you have people that you know closely have been to a region and you can spend considerable amount of time researching with those people. We were fortunate enough to have two good friends that were mountaineers that had been to that very region, the Ladakh region of the Indian Himalaya. So we were able to meet with them several times, look over maps, different trekking routes, Definitely having ample medical training uh, in, independently of yourselves, first aid, CPR at a minimum, and wilderness training of some level uh, is very important for at least one, if not more members of the group to have. And being aware of the region um, and certainly knowing how to pack, considering worst case scenarios, <laughs> And all of those things that go along with it. Just being really well prepared. Talking about doing the wilderness training, is that something that you did? Um, were you taught that by an organization or by a particular person? Yes. In here in the United States, there are various companies and organizations that will do wilderness certifications. And similar to getting avalanche terrain certification. And it's usually a three to, 
to five day training uh, and it goes up from there how substantial a training that you want to take. Uh, WUFA training, which is Wilderness First Aid, is a three-day certification training uh, that I would have to take for work because I'm also an outdoor guide and I guide mountain biking and backpacking and trekking and I need to have that at a minimum and they have to be renewed every two years. And aside from that training, were there, was there anything that you had to take into consideration particularly around the epilepsy so was there anything with um, uh, medical insurance for example or or to do with the altitude is something people ask quite a lot yeah you know altitude it's interesting you bring that up because there is a lot of uh, speculation that I understand around that some research saying that altitude can play a great deal in promoting or triggering an epileptic seizure and then other research says, well, not so much. So I'm not a neurologist. I don't know at a clinical and research level the answer there, but certainly something we took into account because we were traveling upwards towards 15 to 20,000 feet. We were very careful. Jeannie knows my seizures. She knows how they present. She knows how I recover. She knows what to do in that situation. So anytime you're putting yourself into the backcountry, that's the first and foremost is knowing that one of the people in your, in your group has epilepsy and making sure that somebody is comfortable with it. And if nobody's comfortable with it, that poses a problem that could inhibit your ability to do a trip like that safely. I think that's um, really good advice. It's nice to hear it from someone that has been through been through the whole process and like you say you're a, a mountain guide as well and um, you do the mountain biking guiding um, so can you tell us a little bit more about the mountain biking how you got into that side of things uh, that's been more recent when I moved out to Tucson I learned about a company out here that was a mountain bike guiding company and I've always enjoyed guiding backpacking trips or doing experiential learning outward bound type courses with everything from youth to college students and professionals in the corporate and business world. So stepping into mountain biking was purely off of my interest in teaching people the skills of mountain biking and exposing them to the beauty of the outdoors in a completely different way. And so that was how I got involved. I'd mountain biked since I was 18 years old. And so I've been on a mountain bike for a long time. And it's just another way to pursue that passion of riding on dirt. <laughs> yeah. um, so if you were doing something uh, like with, with me, for example, I've never been mountain biking at all. Uh, what would that first session look like? What kind of things would we be doing? What we call it is fundamentals. Uh, there is a series of 10 fundamental skills that we coach as instructors in mountain biking. And they're basically skills that allow you to feel more and more comfortable in the environment of unpredictable trails, single track trails where there's a lot to pay attention to. There's a lot to feel 
on your bike. And when you learn those skills correctly, it makes you a safer rider, a more competent rider. And it's really quite fun to watch somebody ascend their skill level from a beginner to an intermediate, strong, competent rider that really has a good time because they're not injuring themselves and taking spills and falls. And have you ever had any injuries or or falls from the mountain bike? Oh, (laughs) yes. (laughs) I've had several. Is that is that par for the course? Is that <laughs> it, it is to some extent? You know, every every risk has its uh, has its uh, unfortunate endings from time to time. But that's the the risk of uh, experiencing life in a way that I feel is is integral to to how I live. Uh, I need that time in the outdoors. I need that adrenaline. I need that experience just experiencing things on a regular level that provides me a level of mental health that is really helpful puts a smile on my face makes me feel like I'm I'm living life as full as I can yeah absolutely um so bringing it back to your brain surgery that's something that you spoke about in your story that you you made a promise to live life to the full afterwards how how did you decide this is a very big question I'm sure but how did you decide that brain surgery was the best option at that point how did you come to that decision I had a very I would say unfortunate change in the presentation of my epileptic seizures and how it impacted me on various levels. Within a few years period, uh, I started to see, or I should say my wife initially started to see an increase in my seizures. I started to have more and more of them. I was having them not only at night or early in the morning, but I was having them during hikes, having them during hockey games. I was just starting to have a whole different spectrum of seizure activity that was new and quite frightening because it was happening so often. I was having several seizures a week on multiple occasions through about a two-year span that we just started to see all these side effects. I was having complications with focus and concentration that was affecting my work. I was having significant memory loss. I was forgetting national parks that we had visited. Jeannie would talk about experiences that happened a year prior that I would draw a complete blank on. And a trip like that typically isn't something anyone would forget. And I was also having emotional uh, high levels of anxiety, which are very uncharacteristic for me, as well as fear And it was all just kind of steamrolling me to a point where I went to uh, a group of neurological epilepsy specialists in Denver, Colorado. And they were the ones at that point that decided at your age, you failed several anti-epileptic medications. We put you on a cocktail of medications and you're still failing 
your real last option is to consider this brain surgery if you are a candidate. And that was the scariest thing I think I have ever heard in my life. I can only imagine. And you, you can hear from the way that you're talking about it there, that it was just eating away at who you are as a person from the sound of it. So um, I, I, I have so much um, admiration for you to be able to go through that and make that promise to yourself that after that surgery, you would come back even stronger and it certainly sounds like you have certainly sounds like you're making the most of it. I try to, and I've been, I've been very lucky. I, I have not had a seizure since my second surgery. And I am extremely, extremely thankful for that. It has changed my life. It, it gave me my life back. So really, really lu- lucky. It is. It's just fabulous to hear. Um, so how many years is that now without a seizure? Uh, it's been eight years, uh, eight and a half years now. Eight and a half years. Yeah, it's great. It's great to hear those stories. Um, as I say, you, you are someone that, that I personally admire. Um, but do you have any, anybody that you particularly look up to? Anybody that you, you would say you admire as well? I would have to say that it is by far the woman that I met prior to surgery. Her name is Diane Van Deren. And she's pretty well known in the epilepsy circle. Her story, Diane is a adventure athlete for the North Face. She had the same surgery that I had eight years prior to mine. And I met her through the Craig Hospital in Denver. And as I was considering this enormous decision, I met her and as much as physicians can tell you what's going to happen and as much as family and friends can support you through the process, nobody can, can relate like somebody who's actually gone through it. So Diane, who had this temporal lobectomy uh, leading up to it with very similar symptoms, she was just instrumental in as these evasive tests would go and I would have to go for multiple day hospital visits where they would do invasive tests and things that they needed to do to determine if there was a focal point to my seizures. And she would just tell me exactly what it was, how it was going to feel. And that pulled me through the whole six months leading up to that surgery, that first surgery. Yeah. He is... She is just a, an inspiration in herself, her story. And I encourage anybody to look her story up. She, she's articles, television shows. She travels around the world telling her story. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, I'll put a couple of links in the show notes, in fact, because, uh, as you say, her story is pretty amazing and she does turn up on podcasts and TV shows and that kind of thing quite a lot. So absolutely go out and have a look for Diane Van Derham. Given what you've gone through since you were quite young, 11 years old, you were diagnosed. Would you have any advice or anything you'd like to say to somebody else that is perhaps going through a diagnosis at the moment or they're having a very difficult time with epilepsy? Yeah, that, that's an interesting question. I think 
a few of the things. One is not forgetting that you have some control over the situation. It's something that as much as it's devastating to hear you have this thing going on in your head that you necessarily can't control, there are a lot of controllables. And that is how you treat your body, how you emotionally treat yourself, how you choose to keep a positive attitude despite all of the challenges that happen. And certainly reaching out to other people that, that can share what it's like. It's really important to get that perspective because it helps you realize I, I can make it through this. I can manage this. I'm meeting people who support me through it and hopefully finding the right people that insist on making their quality of life as, as positive and meaningful as they can. And those are the people you want to hang out with. And that will also dispel the fear because the more that you associate with people who have experienced it, the more they've been able to rationalize it. And that will take away from that stigma that typically shows up. Oh my gosh, I have epilepsy. Life is over. Instead of that, you talk to people who say, you have epilepsy and your life's going to be okay. Uh, would you say that there's been a, a, a change in attitude from how epilepsy was seen when you were younger compared to now? I think so. With being involved in outdoor mindset, I've been to a lot of functions, epilepsy foundation functions and, and other neurology functions around different diagnoses such as MS and Parkinson's. And I think a lot of the research, particularly with things like Parkinson's and MS are actually starting to show and indicate that exercise is one of the best things to inhibit the progression of symptoms in a lot of neurological disorders. So not only from a physical standpoint, or I should say emotional standpoint, which is pretty much across the board, exposure to the outdoors and depression and anxiety, it's always shown to be an instrumental positive influence on those disorders, but also just the physical aspect is really starting to, to gain hold. So I think the progression of seeing it with less amount of fear is opening people's eyes to this is just a small portion of who I am. I ask everyone this, so I have to have to ask you as well. Um, how how would you describe adventure? What is adventure to you? To me, adventure is the it brings out the spectrum of human emotion, and I think that is that's when you know you're living life to the fullest when you're experiencing joy, you're experiencing excitement, you're experiencing fear, you're experiencing intimidation. And when you're feeling all those things and you're putting yourself in situations that 
are challenging, but have have a destination, have a an endpoint that brings you somewhere that just feeds your soul. And I know that doesn't resonate with everybody. For me, it resonates significantly. And adventure is just that. It's the showing up on any given day, in any given weather, in any different environment, and taking advantage of it for what it offers. And it feels good. It just feels good. It puts your heart and your mind in a space that make you feel confident. And that's really important when you're dealing with diagnosis is confidence and positivity and the ability to deal with challenges it's thrown at you, which the wilderness does all the time. I'd like to give such a big thank you to Jake for telling his own story and talking about his experiences with such honesty and passion. But I'd also like to thank both Jake and Kyle Martin, who is the founder of Outdoor Mindset. They have both been such a support for me over the past year. And Outdoor Mindset is possibly the only other organisation out there who can really appreciate the epilepsy adventure crossover. If you don't know much about them, do head over to OutdoorMindset.org and see what they're all about. You can join up for free and it's a great organisation to be part of. Now, Seizure Adventure is created completely out of passion, from guests like Jake and from myself. I run the podcast in my spare time around work and, of course, my own adventures This is a completely independent production. I am in my bedroom right now on a Friday night trying to finish this before I go to see my family for the Easter weekend. And I love doing it. I love hearing from all of you what the episodes mean to you and I love hearing all of your stories when you get in touch with me. But of course these things do take time and energy and as everything it does cost money. So if you enjoy the results, there are a few things that you can do to support me in this. So the first thing won't cost you any money at all and it'll take barely any time. Please just hit the subscribe button, leave a review and share this podcast. Tell someone about it, tweet about it, share it on Facebook and don't forget to tag at SYAdventurers so that I can see and I can thank you. I do thank people in the podcast who are supportive, so do get sharing and you might find yourself on the episode next time. The second thing, if you are able to give financial support, there are currently two ways that you can do that. If you head to seizureadventure.com forward slash shop, you will see there's a bit of merchandise you can buy. Um, If you do not own an enamel mug, you are not an adventurer. So please grab one of those if you don't have one and send me your photos if you already do have one. They are great to see. You can also make a donation in the shop. um, So that would be donations that help me to pay for things like the, the website space. So please, if you are enjoying the content, do consider just donating a little bit there. Next month, I will be taking things back to basics. 
I'll be looking at what adventure means to different people and talking about some of the adventures I have coming up over the next 12 months and who I will be doing them with. Subscribe now and that one will be out on the 6th of May. As always, the last word goes to my guest. Towards the end of our conversation, Jake and I got talking about the challenges that we had coming up and he and his wife Jeannie are taking on something big this July. So have a listen, get ready to be jealous and until next time, safe adventures everyone. Right now we are planning a trip to Peru. We would like to go and do some high alpine adventures down there. There's some pretty majestic big volcanoes in Peru. Um, we're looking at other other opportunities to, to take on a challenge and, and see some beautiful parts of the world. My wife and I have not been south of the equator yet, so it'll be a new adventure in a new part of the world. We're pretty excited about that. Can I come? <laughs> 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 quickly looking at how much flights are <laughs> yeah right get on, get on the kayak figure it out yeah. this podcast is part of the tremula network adventure and outdoor podcasts off the beaten track to find out more head to tremula.network